One coin to rule them all. One coin to find them. One coin to bring them all. And on the blockchain, bind them. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, I'm, of course, talking about the fellowship of the cryptocurrency, a new magic based on trust and universal value that has brought together the darkest forces in the world under a single all-seeing master. Will world currencies grow stronger under this new single unifying force? Or will it end up cast into the volcano of dark money and the vagaries of currency valuation? Uh, to quote the great philosopher Freddie Mercury, is Bitcoin real life or is it just fantasy? Wow. Yeah, I brought it. I brought all of it this week. <laughs> this is Darian Bates. This is Toby Wilson Bates. And this is The Stories We Tell Our Robots, the podcast where we talk about how we make our technology and how our technology makes us. All right, Toby. Wow, that's. I feel like you spent an inordinate amount of time writing that speech. <laughs> I actually am wondering about the education of your daughters at this point. Yeah, well educated, well educated. Um, yeah, I'm all in on an extended Lord of the Rings allegory for Bitcoin Day. So uh, maybe, maybe uh, we should start by saying what Bitcoin is. Oh, right. Well, let me. Uh, all right. Well, let's see if I can do this. I think this is this is one of those things that I don't think um, I don't think it's possible to really explain Bitcoin in a brief way that anybody who doesn't already kind of understand it really kind of gets it. And one, you, one does not simply explain Bitcoin. <laughs> this is going to happen this entire podcast, isn't it? <laughs> Although it's worth saying, I, I do want to do my little my little plug. Uh, at the outset, before you leap into this, uh, you know, dark circle of of rings, um, I actually think that this is precisely why I'm so interested in in our podcast as a sort of thought experiment. This idea that something like a Bitcoin stacked on top of a number of different technologies uh, and sort of economic theories is really difficult to understand. This stuff is, is extremely complex, um, and I, I think for you know to scare quotes, maybe average listener, uh, you might say, well, you know, I don't want to really waste my higher brain power on this. Um, what I would say to that, and what I think is hopefully useful about this stories we tell our robots thought experiment, is that people already have these complex models for understanding multivalent information, and and I think. <laughs> somewhat, All right. Someone understanding Middle Earth is as complex as someone understanding Bitcoin. It's just a matter of figuring out how this complex network of information about dwarves and elves and goblins and factions and, you know, seeing orbs and everything uh, can be repurposed for understanding another complex model of, of information, something like the Bitcoin. And I think this is, for me anyway, this is, this is, Part of how how I see uh, me being here as a, a meaningful thing in in talking about technology. <laughs> well, I'm certainly hoping we can we can find another reason for you being here as a meaningful thing. But that uh, sounds like what you're saying is is um, the, the, a gauntlet has been thrown that I'm going to try to explain uh, and take on the subject of cryptocurrency in a fairly practical way. And you, meanwhile, are going to make constant references to Lord of the Rings, apparently. And at the end of the <laughs> podcast, we're going to see whether who has explained it better and whether somebody has made this a more uh, intelligible um, uh, kind of subject than it probably currently is for many people. Right. I, and I wouldn't even say a better thing. That's something like a really competitive sibling would do. Right. <laughs> um, I would more say uh, when we explain it together using these two different things, does that somehow actually inform, you know, maybe understanding of both of these these complex things, Middle Earth and Bitcoin. That that sounds that sounds distressingly collaborative and something that a a younger <laughs> passive aggressive sibling would do. So, <laughs> so let's uh, well let's 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 try this. Let me jump in and just do a give a couple um, kind of I guess 
kind of contextual points, not just about Bitcoin, but about money in general. Um, because I think that's, I mean, that's why I think people are really fascinated about this. I think that's the, that's what's really grabbed people about Bitcoin and what made, what made Bitcoin, I think, really, um, I, th I think it's, it's having a moment partially because it's just such a, it, it's not magical thinking. It exposes maybe some of the magical thinking that makes human society function. Um, so let me, let, me, let me jump in and just do a, a, do a couple things here on kind of a download or a context uh, about uh, money. So first of all, let's, you know, I think the, the one thing that Bitcoin really makes us question is, well, what is money? Um, and I think a lot of people are, have done a better job of explaining it and will do a better job of explaining it than I will do here. Um, but just for the sake of informing this conversation, um, if you think about money as being kind of an evolution of the kind of the barter system, right? If you imagine kind of early um, Egypt, where you really you had kind of the first bartering happen, because that's where you really had the first kind of wealth um, kind of accumulation when you started growing things, especially um, especially like cereals, like wheat, rice, things like that, that could be stored and kept. And so you could accumulate wealth. Now you could, now you weren't, you know, you, you started having the ability to barter for things and starting to have some level of record keeping around that. So um, that's really where you start having this idea of even trade functioning beyond sort of a, a I went out and caught something and you know, now I'm going to either give it to you or not give it to you, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you kind of have that, you have some forms of bartering and kind of going on and then you kind of evolve gradually into sort of like, I think in China you had kind of small replicas of goods that are cast in bronze or stuff like that. Like you're trying to have like these symbol systems that are starting to be kind of captured into kind of a tokenized form. And then when you started to have um, coinage started to arrive when you started to have trade right? You needed to get something from one place to another place. And it was a lot easier for you to bring back coins than it was for you to bring back um, something else in kind of in, in, in large form. So, and then, you know, you really started seeing kind of gold really starting to come about kind of later on. Gold was, gold is, is really useful in that it is highly durable and is largely useless um, for anything else. So it, became, it works really well as a symbol system because first of all, you're not going to go make a plow out of it. And second of all, it is um, it it tends it doesn't tarnish it it's 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 easy to manipulate it's it's a soft metal, um, so that's you know it's it's and it's very identifiable, and then you um, you kind of kind of go from there and then you you start kind of moving off of you start having um, gold being kind of adulterated not literally although in some cases yes but adulterated with paper currencies and things like that. So um, that's kind of like that's almost like a prehistory of of money in a, in a kind of funny way. Right, exactly. I mean, it, and really it looks at what money is really trying to do and why does money exist? And, and money exists because frankly, it's, 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 it's hard to carry a cow around. And second of all, it's, it's hard to, when you get into more and more service work, it's hard to carry your work around, right? Like you, if you work for somebody over there and you can't carry that work to another place, Money, money allows that to be um, transferable. And I, I think the best way I've heard it described is money is in and of itself an accounting system. That's all it is. And there's different vehicles that kind of, kind of serve as an accounting system, but really it's, it's being able to imagine putting your work on a ledger and somebody else saying, ah, oh, you did that work, great. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that ledger as evidence of your work. And so then I'm gonna take some of that work you know, some of that work product and use it for my own gain, right? Or use it for my own purposes and give you something back. Um, so it's just an accounting system. Um, and I think, I think we've imbued elements of that accounting system with maybe some, some, asp some, some qualities that are beyond just what the system is. So gold has these qualities to it that seem to be imbued with an inherent value in and of themselves. And they, you know, it's, it's fairly rare, I guess, although you can always mine more. There's, um, <laughs> I mean, not always. I guess you could you could deplete all the gold in the world because you know there, we do live in a fixed system. But for all intents and purposes, we haven't explored all the gold reserves in the world. So it's it's fairly. Um, so I'm, I'm see if I can get through this quickly enough. I feel like I've I've burdened this piece a little bit. But but basically, I'll, let me get to the idea of the gold standard that was put in place. So the idea that gold starts becoming like your reserves of gold start serving as your country's wealth. And the U.S. actually adopts this, although it later than people think. I think a lot of people 
um, who maybe don't come to this with a whole a great deal of um, kind of historical knowledge, not that I'm you know a historian on the subject, um, kind of assume that well gold was kind of at the epicenter or at the core of of American history, and really they did, the America didn't adopt the gold standard to back its currency until 1879. So we've had we'd had a we had over a century of of even kind of U.S. United States of America history, not even American history, but you know U.S. history. Um, before we even before we took gold as the backing of our currency, and we and we didn't really it didn't last for that long. We 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 got out of it in the nineteen we got for the most part we got out of it in the nineteen thirties. Um, to you know we we were stuck in the Great Depression and we you know we wanted to start um, throwing a lot more money into the system and just basically printing money and throwing into the system so people could spend and to raise inflation and all that. And you couldn't do that if you were working off of a fixed. Um, gold currency or gold backing so they um, but, they but that period serves as the sort of disappearing pastoral right. when when money when money was money and you know right. and everything was uh, simpler and realer back then which is just to initiate my lord of the rings uh, <laughs> allegory this is this is sort of the central function of the world of, of middle earth is that there was this sort of magical period and now mm -hmm. everything all the magic is leaving, and this is sort of evacuating the essential fantasy element out of a fantasy world. Mm, right, right. I mean, I, I've, I've, I don't know that my familiarity with Lord of, Lord of the Rings is as strong as yours, but I, I, I do understand that you're. There's kind of this when, when the race of men were great, when elves were, were, kind of a central figure in Middle Earth, when everything was sort of at this magical time. Yeah, um, and. and, and right, like, Gold was valuable. I mean, sure, there's those kind of practical concerns about malleability and abundance and this kind of stuff. But in in a very real way, gold was valuable because it was valuable, right? Like there's there's right. a sort of magical thinking to that. Right. Uh, exactly. But that that there is just you know why does Gandalf get to do magic? Because he's a wizard. You know right. why is the ring magical? Because they made it magical. Like right. it's just don't don't ask questions. <laughs> exactly. Accept it. Um, but 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 there is something very practical to gold. There is something in uh, there is something that is inherent in gold, and this is what I think the people who are big gold advocates see is that it 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 you can't really it's not practical it's not easy to make more of it. It's a limited resource, and and it's a finite physical resource, and I think that matters um, in the way that I think when you move into Bitcoin and I. I I'm going to see if I can transition quickly to Bitcoin and then get off the uh, the kind of contextual soapbox so that we can get into the more interesting part of the, I think the discussion. But Bitcoin really is um, kind of I mean it's it's really based on a, a what was kind of a, a I mean from from the terms of the internet standpoint a fairly lengthy build up to Bitcoin in terms of cryptocurrencies in general. There was a lot of those kind of a long-standing attempt to get some sort of cryptocurrency into the even kind of periphery of the mainstream. There were a lot of um, there was kind of the um, this this a number of kind of groups that were trying to kind of build out this this idea that we can just start a currency that's going to function in our own world. And you know, there's a lot of sort of kind of hackers or um, there's this whole cypherpunk community, which I think is a really interesting term, is this idea of kind of coming from the outside in the and and creating this kind of new form of of money, and ultimately it, they they succeeded um, rather successfully, you know, con comparatively speaking, at least in 2008. Not surprisingly, right around the time, right right around the um, collapse of the um, financial markets, and in fact, I think the Bitcoin if I can recall correctly, the Bitcoin was uh, kind of officially released right, kind of right after the the financial markets really started collapsing. And I think that's one of the places where you really see some appetite for Bitcoin suddenly happening, which is people are people are really shaken by the idea that the, the U.S. currency isn't the thing that they thought it was, or that money could just evaporate or value could just evaporate. You know, like. And it did, you know, all this value that people thought were in homes, suddenly the homes turned out not to be worth that. And you just kind of had this abscess in the market where money suddenly disappeared and there was a hole. So there's suddenly all the faith in U.S. currency, suddenly people were shaken by that. Um, this is my theory. I'm, I'm doing a big macro sociology statement there. But um, 
ultimately you sort of see this this kind of kind of this gaining ground, this new currency starting to become like maybe this, maybe this is the thing. And um, you know, you start seeing you start people sort of using it here and there directly, places like and and they're using it in very fringe ways. I think the most famous one is sort of on Silk Road where you could buy drugs and weapons and whatever other types of things. And you could you could pay for things directly using Bitcoin, which is a which is kind of the fantasy that you could kind of pay for things in the in the currency itself. Um, but more often than not, really where you started seeing it kind of become mainstream was when you started seeing it having a conversion value and you started to have kind of these trading centers where you could trade for Bitcoin. You could kind of give Bitcoin and, and extract cash, right? You could say, I, I'm going to give you this Bitcoin and I want in turn, whatever the current, whatever the trading value of it is, I'll get back $100, $1,000, $10,000, whatever. And then you could use that in, in places that are dealing in you know, physical commodities on the US dollar system or whatever. And so then, uh, during that time, you kind of have this rise of these these trading systems, but they're largely unregulated. And I think the the first one, and really, um, I think the the, the what be, what became kind of the 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 poster child of why regulation was necessary was Mt. Gox, which was this kind of loosely managed or poorly managed um, trading site that uh, you know you could kind of you could kind of say I want to cash out my bitcoins and you get you get cash out of it and in like 2014 Mt. Gox sort of famously failed and just like um hundreds of thousands of uh or I guess 19 I guess I, I think the number is I think they expect about about half uh what was the number 500 no, $5 million or something was, was being stolen or something like that. I, I probably should get the, the number right on that. But the amount that um, just suddenly disappeared, they had no idea where it went. And uh, Mt. Gox kind of went down, all this money disappeared. And then eventually people stepped in and were like, wow, we've got to really regulate this. And then regulation started coming out. And and everyone was starting to get up in arms about the fact that the federal, you know, U.S. federal uh, federal regulators were coming in and saying this is actually how you know, trading of Bitcoin can work. And, and and kind of now this is where we are today. We end up with this system where Bitcoin is, seems like it's it's gained a certain amount of legitimacy. Um, there certainly are institutions that are really looking at kind of the, the mechanics of Bitcoin as a real interesting um, thing. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when we go kind of get into some of the discussion, kind of this blockchain idea, this idea of this kind of publicly managed ledger, um, kind of computer ledger. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's where we are. Wow. Sorry, that's that's that is that rambling, and, and I don't know if that I you're certainly making the case perhaps on that that using yeah, the yeah, uh, no, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna talk about some wizards um, <laughs> exactly and, and this is my point if if in the last eight minutes of of that history of currency oh, sorry you were like uh, I don't know if that was actually eight minutes I, I, some something it, it felt much longer yes yeah <laughs> um, you felt you know, zoned out or, you know, it's not, there's nothing to do with your, your stellar oratory. I think it's just that I think people really want to have an anchor somewhere. Right. You know, right. It's like, if I, if I see someone's head chopped off in a movie, I'm not like, Ooh, I might, you know, it's like, Oh, that person's head is chopped off or shot with a laser cannon or something. But if I see someone stub their toe really hard, like wow, wow, yeah, that must have really hurt. I've stubbed my toe before, um, and I think this is how people understand things. I think if if they if there's no purchase in a long explanation, a, a complex explanation for a lot of sociological, economic, and technological information, uh, it gets really hard at, at times to stay to you know kind of stay in the driver's seat with that information, uh, which is which makes me think two things. Uh, one, uh, wizards. Are are really <laughs> one? They're a good they're a good explanation shortcut, as, as Tolkien found out uh, or or knew. Right. Um, you don't know how that happened? Wizards. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. You're like, oh, Gandalf, what are you doing here? Well, I got rescued by a giant eagle who saved me from a cave when I was right. swimming in lava. Like, you, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, that happens. I was naked for a bit there, but that was fine. <laughs> exactly. But I got white clothes. 
exactly. I love, I love that period of the book that is really like just kind of this trippy period where it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, just disappeared for the world for, from the world for a while. It's like very yeah. much, uh, yeah. No, very much. It was super trippy. I mean, uh, uh, Tolkien was a World War One veteran. Um, right. And and he insisted that the book was not allegorical for World War One, but I, I don't think any human being in the world during World War One, especially those, uh, he was part of a very tight knit group of friends who all uh, went off to war together, uh, about half of whom died. Uh, the other remaining friend was completely alienated from Tolkien. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he had to try to make sense of this as a human being. Well, I was going to say, I think now's the time. So I, I want you to I want you to give me because I, I think you've written one. I, I, I or at least if you haven't written it, you have it in your head right now, because because, you know, for you, I think Bitcoin, the analogy or the allegory of or maybe. Yeah, let's say an analogy, the analogy between or the connection between Bitcoin and Lord of the Rings feels very physically manifest to you. You see these connections that you think is useful. So give this to me. Give me your master take. Because I just spent eight minutes telling people, you know, <laughs> this is this is money, which is gold is. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, give me, give me your Bitcoin Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, you know, like 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 conspiracy theory. Exactly. Uh, Line this well, up for me. So so three things. One. J.R.R. Tolkien uh, emerges from World War I, and nobody knows exactly why World War I happened. It just ended at a certain point. Like, it, there were just so many dead people, and there was so much confusion, and there was so, it, it was ideolo an ideological muddle built out of any number, it, it, millions and millions of confusing factors. Everything I've read about World War I, if you, if you go back and look at Wilfred Owen or Robert Graves or the work of Paul Fussell or anyone, it's just a mess. It's just, it was a, I mean, war is a mess, but World War I in, in a new and existentially utterly confusing way was. So, so Tolkien comes out of that, I think, with a, a, a real impulse towards creating worlds with a sort of binary switch somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, like a kind of built into the world, no matter how complex or confusing the world was, uh, a little a little cute hairy-footed hobbit could take a power ring and drop it into a volcano, and good wins, bad loses, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like, right. Like, that's what World War One did not have. You right. know, it didn't it didn't have an on-off switch. Um, there were there was no rubric for victory in World War One. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, uh, one, I, th I think that's part of the fantasy of the tech, and and, and the ring itself doesn't really matter so much. It, it, it's 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 a vehicle for worth and meaning and kind of right wrongness. It carries everything inside it, but as a vessel, it's pretty meaningless. Right, and I I, th I think that's the first place you get me on. Like, okay, so the ring as Bitcoin or as just money in general. I, I think you, it's like the ultimate like MacGuffin, right? Like it's, there's, there's really, there's no inherent value in the ring, which is fascinating, right? Everybody craves it. And yet there's nothing in the ring that seems to be that useful. No, no. I mean, uh, just a, a, it, it turns you invisible, but actually makes you hyper visible to the ring wraiths who are these sort of <laughs> monster specters who are hunting you. The very people you're trying to get away from, you're, you're, you're hyper visible to, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's useless. It doesn't seem to give you any power. Sauron, the evil, you know, king wizard maker of the ring, doesn't seem to need the ring to take over the world. Um, right. It's, it's great function is that it can kill Sauron. Right. And, <laughs> and he wants it back, but like, it's not clear what he's going to get by getting it back. Right. So yeah, he has it initially in like this, uh, this older war. Right, and then and this elf guy comes and chops his hand off and takes it. Um, but then it doesn't help that elf guy. He just gets shot by some random orcs with arrows. I don't think it was an uh, elf guy. Wasn't it a, wasn't it a, it was a man, right? Isn't, he, isn't was it a man, man guy? Oh, yeah, man. That was, a, that was the whole point. I'm picturing the guy from the Matrix, you know, Mr. <laughs> Matrix telling as in from the movie. Again, I'm, he's saying like it was the weakness of men or something. But again, this may be that's a movie adaptation, but I'm. Maybe they maybe there was some elf man thing going on, but I, I thought it was like very explicitly, at least from the from the movie version, 
the weakness of man was why the ring wasn't destroyed in that moment. Oh, it could be. It could be. I, uh, I'm, I've, it's clearly been uh, a decade or so since I've read it. Um, but it, the race of that individual is, is pretty unimportant right. uh, to this. The, the important thing is that somebody else took the ring, decided to possess it, and did not become all-powerful. Um, right. Right. And it's not like, I mean, one of the things that I, my first reaction when I think you, you floated this idea of the ring as, as, as really be, being a complete red herring, or at least being something that had, doesn't have intrinsic value, I'm like, well, but no one's really ever tried to use it. Like everybody keeps wanting to take it and then they, like, they can't get it and then they, they crumble in some way. Um, but that's not the case, right? Like actually it is the case that, that Gollum, you know, wore it for, for centuries and didn't do anything with it really other than, yeah. You know, and Sauron had it initially. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, so there really is wanted to use it when he made it. Right. So that's a fair point. All right, so you you sold me on the idea that the ring, like ring equals currency in that neither of them actually have real true value. And yet there is this kind of constant effort to to possess it. Yeah, yep. Okay, uh, all right. That's I can buy that in it. I'd push it beyond currency because I, I'm interested in Bitcoin specifically. Okay. Right, like magic already exists, power already exists in the world before the ring is made. Like all the ring does is add this extra switch on ah. top of the existing system. Gotcha. So, so they've right. So, so in this analogy, though, like the people Sauron are the people who make Bitcoin. Yeah, Sauron makes Bitcoin. All right. So are we are we are all the forces of darkness together as Bitcoin has done. <laughs> so you see Bitcoin as being a malevolent force, uh, or at least the makers of being Bitcoin a malevolent force. But it does. I, I think it. I, I think like the ring, it operates in two directions at once, right? That that Bitcoin possibly initiates a really interesting, really important conversation about what currency is at this mm -hmm. point. So this is to say, if you're like a rider of Rohan or an elf or a dwarf or a hobbit or whatever, like suddenly you get to realize you're all good guys because right. you're able to see yourselves on a, a coalition on one side of a divide. Gotcha. Um, so, so Bitcoin is your call to, I mean, Bitcoin is your call to action. I mean, for those cases, and the ring is your call to action. It gives you something to possess, to do something with, to potentially even destroy if you need to or that you really right. that's what your goal is okay all right yeah i mean it's it's, a, it's i feel like it's a little bit of a stretch around <laughs> that but I'll, I'll take it but the all stretch right. is also important this is the third thing i was going to say we're talking about the fantasy genre here and so this is part of a group uh of sort of literary genres uh, that's literally called genre fiction um it includes things like science fiction and detective fiction these things that aren't comedy or tragedy or epic but rather operate by certain generic features and guidelines um mm -hmm. Fantasy is really interesting because part of its guideline, and it's commonly, you know, sort of compared to something like science fiction. Science fiction, the the constraints of a science fiction world are essentially the constraints of this world, but with like technologies and you know, scare quotes out of science concepts taken to their logical extremes or possible right. speculative extremes. Right. It's a way of so, exploring kind of the extremes of a system that. Um, where you don't have to, where you don't have to, you don't have to act like, well, that wouldn't really happen, but nonetheless, it's something that is kind of happening or could happen or something like that. Right, right. Be like on our planet, everyone's skin is green because the sun is yellow or the ultraviolet light does something, right? Like you're like, oh, okay, there's, a, there's some kind of explanation, mitochlorians or right. whatever. Right. There's a, the, the, the term from kind of the, the neoclassicism is there's a verisimilitude, right? There's, sure you have to create some some real real reason for it to be and then everything has to function around that real reason if there are dragons those dragons have to have a reason to be dragons or for them to yeah. exist right yeah the, the dragons are actually you know space lizards or whatever right um fantasy doesn't require that fantasy uh totally punts on on the ne necessity of logical or rational reality or mm -hmm. speculative reality even uh, and, and as a genre, depends much more heavily on just sort of cultural traditions or sort of representational traditions. That's why mm -hmm. something like Lord of the Rings, 
which itself is built out of, out of things like this the uh, Finnish epic Carta Carnavala and Beowulf and the kind of stuff that Tolkien studied as a classics professor. Um, it sets up all these really legible traditions, things like a, a more modern understanding of what an orc is or a goblin or how dwarves and elves are different, this kind of stuff. That then lots of other people pick up on. So there's a very there tends to be a very clear genealogy for fantasy. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's right. no logical. There's no necessary logical basis for fantasy. Right. It's almost like there's this is like this extended myth making that parents one to another. So so as long as as long as we can accept the idea that that Lord of the Rings exists as a genre and has 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 some so, sort of genre credibility in it, you can have this whole world of of D and D and kind of all this all this other kind of these narrative works that extend from it, but it's almost like you needed that seminal work to establish that, and even that seminal work is based upon this other kind of mythology, as you're saying. So, all right. So, I mean, if if unless I'm inaccurate in restating that, so okay. So we have a world that we have a world of mythology rather than a world of um, kind of ex extended extrapolation. Yeah, and my my contention is that Bitcoin is fantasy money. Huh. And is that a problem? You're right, is my question about that, that clearly Lord of the Rings serves all kinds of meaningful cultural purposes. Right. Um, just to return to my earlier point, like someone like Tolkien wrestling with what like just war theory or something like this, you know, can war be simple? Can war be winnable? What, what is legible to us in the wake of World War I, this kind of stuff, um, produces this kind of binary switch. And then we get to participate in that kind of ethical discussion and fantasy. Right. Um, well, let's, I mean, let's. It becomes like, you know, kind of escapism. Right, right. Well, I mean, hmm. The idea of Bitcoin as, as a kind of escapism, or like economic escapism around kind of the, the largest financial collapse in like two generations. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's it is that's a very compelling argument that Bitcoin is in fact a kind of escapism, and and actually it, it makes me think about a couple things. Like I think about people. There's there's these two types. You know, when you think about a Bitcoin type, and what's interesting to me about the Bitcoin type, like somebody who's a big um, kind of evangelist for Bitcoin. And I had a um, I had dinner with a a, a fairly well-respected or i would say a very well-respected um investor um earlier this summer who um you know he, he was he was very successful in kind of the, the kind of figuring out the dot-com bubble and kind of coming out of it with his i think he runs a kind of investment firm or he's a big investor in investment firm and and somebody asked him about bitcoin and he said basically stay away and um like it's you know there's nothing real there Right. That was his thing. And in some ways, he's like, it's essentially it's a fantasy. Like when you buy a stock in a company, it's it's a company. I mean, it's like there's there's assets there. There's hard assets. There's things like that 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 ostensibly have value even if the company fails. Now, I think and in most cases, he was referring to the Bitcoin exchange, like Bitcoin investment, which is, I think, one of those things that is an inch is where I'd like to go on this, which is, you know, so much of our world now is being processed through this concept of assets, right? There's Bitcoin, the coin, and then there's Bitcoin, the asset. And they're, they seem like they're the same thing and they're not, right? There's the Bitcoin, the coin, which is a currency that you can exchange directly. It's, it's like a gold coin. It's like a dollar or something like that. And it has a real, has a real functional purpose in this kind of exchange structure. But then there's also Bitcoin, the asset, where you invest in Bitcoin in the same way that you might invest in a company. You're speculating of what it will be worth. You're speculating about what the purchasing power of the Bitcoin will be in the future, in the same way that people invest in gold as another thing that people invest in. They're they're buying it. They're they're buying gold not because they want to go out and sell gold. They're buying gold. I mean, they're, I mean because they actually that's exactly what they do. They're buying gold not because they want to go to a store and exchange gold for something. It's because they are they think that it has kind of future greater value than what it currently has, but it becomes a speculative um, medium. And Bitcoin as a speculative medium is really dicey. Um, Bitcoin mm -hmm. as, a, as a practical, um, kind of as a, as a practical thing that really does something as a practical vehicle for carrying 
um, you know, this kind of ledger of, of value uh, is really is really practical, is really useful. Um, it's why you see these huge banks really exploring the blockchain and saying they want to figure out how to use this to kind of take care of some, take advantage of some of the efficiencies of it to be able to move money around the world and to create trust systems that wouldn't otherwise exist. And so I look at two types of people that really are Bitcoin like conceptual fanboys around this. Um, mm -hmm. And they really fall into this, this, or they fall into this category of either people who are very gold buggy, who just like the idea of kind of taking power away from the system or the very techie, where they, they believe that there's an inherent tech value that hasn't been realized by the, by the mainstream audience yet. And they're kind of on the forefront of it. Neither of whom Lord of the Rings fans to me. Right. <laughs> yeah, both of whom are probably Lord of the Rings fans. Um and I don't see what's interesting to me is as they, they are very resistant to the idea of kind of a mainstream co-option of blockchain technology and of Bitcoin, even as the value that they would eventually get from Bitcoin would be based entirely upon the mainstream acceptance of it and the the you know, this idea of, of, of legitimizing it. And I think there's a real interesting tension there. It's very hipster tension where they, they like, they, they love a band and they want that band to go public and become like, you know, they, they want to be behind somebody that like, yeah, this, this person would change the world if, if people just listen to them. And then the minute people start listening to them, like, ugh, like they sold out. And there's, it's, I just, you know, I, I don't know if I have an, enough of a point there to resolve it in some sort of tidy package, but I kind of see that kind of um, climate around this. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's essentially the competing impulses in Lord of the Rings. Go on. That <laughs> even as uh, you know, elves, dwarves, wizards, etc., uh, hobbits are, are all fighting to you know sort of deliver the future of the world to mankind. Uh, as mankind takes over the world, all of those magical creatures also disappear. Mm. They, Interesting. The, the the clearer that next age is, the less the old age gets to exist. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I I think there's there's something about Bitcoin that at its core makes us makes us understand money better. And I don't know that makes us more confident about money just because we understand it better. If anything, it like to the people who think of Bitcoin as a as a as a be beginning point for revolution or an overturning of the system, you know, I guess there there is a degree to which once people understand that Bitcoin is possible as a new form of currency, they can they they do kind of start overtly questioning the the current currency as what is what is that, and I think that's the most interesting kind of dialogue that's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And that, that, that's part of maybe, I don't know if this is something you're interested in, um, or that's even maybe a particular interest to our listeners, but it, it strikes me part of what's so interesting about this, that Bitcoin, to my mind, is, is a, a, little bit, um, a little bit a tip of the iceberg thing here. Hmm. You mentioned blockchain a few times, and Part of what what I see is going on is that there's actually this this other there's this whole other conversation happening about things like communication and value and transmission um, and, and how technology makes these things happen or or how technology can make us think about different things happening than what our traditional sort of exchanges might be it, way back you know mm -hmm. long ago. In this podcast, you talked about uh, sort of beginning to think about a coin within the context of a simple barter system. This seems so far from that conceptually, mm -hmm. as, as if each time you do a new blockchain technology, you're like in, in inventing not just a new currency like Bitcoin or Zcash or something, but a new mindset about how currency and like communicating value operate. Mm hmm. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a really important point. And I, I, you know, I've, I've, you know, editors note that we, we talk off this podcast as well. And I think you've mentioned that there are uh, 
there are there are people that you're teaching right now at Georgia Tech, right, who are really exploring kind of the underlying, not just the mechanics, but the the impact of the these these explicit mechanics, right? Is that yeah? And, and I'm I, sure that it's happening at like MIT, and I'm sure it's happening at Google, and I'm sure it's happening at Facebook. That like the idea that like leaping leaping currencies is like leaping fantasy worlds, right? The the you know Game of Thrones is recognizably both the same thing and utterly different from Lord of the Rings. Right. Uh, and and you could say the same thing about like each of these sort of parallel dimensions that get. So, I, I feel so like that creating mm -hmm. just the act of creating a currency creates makes it now possible to create new currencies. Like basically, if Bitcoin is Lord of the Rings, if it's a seminal text that is creating the possibility for future seminal texts that now those texts can all function using the same mythology and now they're legitimized, or at least they are, there's now a framework to understand them and now the public can use them. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and not only that, but I'd say that the coded into something like Lord of the Rings, if you, if you go back, Tolkien was obsessed with appendices. Um, <laughs> right, he wrote the Silmarillion, right? Didn't he go through and like write like an entire- oh, yeah. like, He has a lot of peripheral writing. 700 pages of like myth-making around his texts. And in them, it's worth saying that in Lord of the Rings, Frodo is writing the Red Book, which he has taken from Bilbo, who's also writing it, which is a record of all the things that are happening. And mm -hmm. in the introduction to Lord of the Rings, there's like this faux history of how the Red Book came into the hands right. of the chroniclers who are now writing the thing, and that's the thing that you are starting to read. Ah, oh, that's so interesting, and it's so fascinating, and it really builds into this coding world. I think one of yeah. the really interesting things about, um, I realize the name that I haven't brought brought up at all, which I think is, is interesting in the world of Bitcoin, if you can talk about it without actually bringing up the uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, who is right. the, 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 you know, he not only does he create Bitcoin and explains its function, but he also references kind of seminal um creators before so in the text of creating bitcoin he's also created this kind of referential text which is very much a kind of a coding i mean it's it's a human thing in many ways but it's 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 kind of built into the world of kind of code sharing is such that it's it's you are you are invited and in fact there's so much exchange of knowledge and ideas in the coding world and in the the hacking world and all that but there's an essential part of inscribing into your own work the history of the work that has come before, and that was yeah. that was that was part of the release of Bitcoin was also this you know this this kind of historicizing of cryptocurrency in general. Yeah. Yep. And so and and self-historicizing, right? That right. Like in in each moment you you create not just a new future but a new world. Right. Um, and that, well, let me that I guess yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, no, please finish your thought. I was going to I was going to kind of try to see if we could we could start turning this this world of of kind of analogy and allegory into kind of back to this question of, OK, so so Bitcoin, so Bitcoin's a myth that our society has now started to accept as a myth that it can work with. Right. Yeah. And uh, while we're on the topic of alternate worlds, why don't we ask the question always on our minds? Right. Or is this utopia? Well, okay. Um, all right. I guess I, I guess since you always bring the idea, I always start off. I guess that's going to be our that's our, our growing trend. Yeah, so like is, a big brother, little brother thing. Is the idea right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Is the guess I'll go first again. <laughs> uh, ooh, uh, all right. I guess I'm going to give my opinion um, <laughs> as fact. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the point that you brought up is is not just whether Bitcoin itself, but whether the the idea that we've now insinuated kind of this overt myth making currency or this myth mythological currency that now has a foundation to be recreated and recreated again in the future and ha and and has gained legitimacy that, that now it has a foundation to stand on um whether that is going to lead us down the path towards utopia or to uh, apocalypse or or up to uh 
kind of this utopian um, technocratic vision of the future. Is that does that sound like a fair, lengthy way? Yeah. Of and then obviously, uh, as I didn't explain this before, utopia is a ten, and the apocalypse is a one. Right. Right. Well, so my answer is either going to be really, um, really interesting or really boring. Um, I'm going to say a five. And I'm going to say a five, not because I'm in between maybe this, maybe that. I'm going to say it, it will make no difference. It will make Ooh. no difference. Oh, I see. I hadn't thought about the dimensionality of our spectrum in that way. Exactly. Five is is not just you are are torn between two things, but it's also just the status quo. Right. It is. Bitcoin is the status quo. First of all, like in the... There was no way for Bitcoin to there's no way for Bitcoin to succeed really unless it gets mainstream acceptance. And the minute it gets mainstream acceptance, it starts falling into and you're already seeing it with Bitcoin, it starts falling into the exact same regulatory and power structures that everything has always been, that where where all the different currencies have always been. Bitcoin's an accounting system. It's a better accounting system. Um, you're going to see um, from a from a success of the technology, you're going to start seeing these big banks and these big institutions starting to use countries and everything, starting to use Bitcoin as an underlying method for managing kind of their kind of accounting system. They might even start creating kind of internal currencies or something, right? It doesn't change the fundamental power dynamic of any of any country or society really. And that's my that's my take. Somebody else, somebody else who's a better macroeconomist than me could could look at it. I've worked in, I've worked with banks and in banking for a bit, um, and I see people really trying to adopt, figure out ways to use blockchain. But it doesn't fundamentally change. You know, when a myth hits reality at a certain point, there's still a fundamental truth about the world. And we, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, I, I love kind of the techie world and I love the AI world. And I think the thing that's really interesting to me is that the people who are most afraid of the, of the, the tech revolution are people who are seeing that tech revolution or that tech, that robot revolution being physicalized. Elon Musk is really anxious about, says he's really anxious about the robot world because he's seeing it starting to be turned into physical systems, true physical systems, you know, cars that are driving, um, weapon systems that are starting to be automated, things like that. And he's like, wow, that's real. That is, meanwhile, Facebook, which is very just kind of this ephemeral digital space where information is passing back and forth, even though it's powerful information, as we saw from the election, perhaps, it's still <laughs> it's still subject to the physical realities and the physical realities are, are end up being more dominant. Um, and again, we can get into a pen versus sword uh, discussion, but I, I see... I see it being an information accounting system that ultimately is going to end up ratifying the same power structures that already exist. And we end up in the exact same place, but maybe it doesn't cost as much money to send, I mean, cost as much to send money overseas. Um, I think there's, there's more revolutionary things that are being done. I think there's more problematic things that are being done. I don't think this falls into either one. I think this is just, this is like the internet. Like I now get my, I now read the New York times on my phone. Certainly it puts some, some, newspapers out of business and that is problematic and there's there's issues that we're dealing with the internet but for the most part the news is the news is the news nice i like i like you threw the in, internet under the bus there at the end of that one right <laughs> it just it hasn't been the revolution that people have while i'm while i'm talking about blockchain <laughs> right let me just let me just let me just uh a bang, you know, like throw the entire uh Revolution of information revolution under the bus and basically I like say imagine a lot of people not along with you like yeah yeah and then you're yeah, like yeah. and they're like what what wait what <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then Hitler <laughs> yeah it's a great that moment in Groundhog's Day where he's like breaking all the rules and he like drives onto the train tracks and the like, don't drive on the train tracks <laughs> I have to agree with that rule exactly. Well, yes, I, I might. I, there might be a correction in the next episode where I'm like, well, actually, the internet was very, very uh, transformational. Actually, sorry, about that. but blockchain, blockchain is still just going to ratify the same power structures that already. Exist. Oh man, that's, that's such a future episode. Yeah, exactly. So, did, did the internet do anything? Yeah, exactly. Oh man, it's happening. All right. Well, I, that was a long one for me. You, you give me your give me your apocalypse or utopia. Uh, I'll keep I'll keep it brief, and I'm also going to cheat a bit. Um, I, I mean, Bitcoin is whatever to me. That's fine, you know, uh, whatever. I, I don't care that much about Bitcoin as 
uh, <laughs> maybe my Lord of the Rings. Yeah, exactly. You certainly <laughs> put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. Um, but blockchain, I think, is, is so interesting. And this conversation about what currency is and what it can be, uh, I, it strikes me as like this this conversation that that someone like Karl Marx was really trying to get people to have at one mm. point. Um, and, and that like it's been so impossible to find the the terms and scale and technologies to engage in this really mm. complex idea in ways outside of sort of institutional control. Um, and even if, as you say, and I, and, I, and I trust you, you think that Bitcoin itself will simply be sort of integrated in all the sort of same structures of power. I think the, the conversations about those things as structures um, and about there being choices about how we structure them, you know, the sort of internal code of value and this kind of thing, I, I think if anything is potentially utopian, that's utopian. Um, so I, I'll, I'm going to go seven. <laughs> oh, man. So this is the first time in the in the extensive time of this podcast that you've been more optimistic about a technological innovation than I have. It has um, it happened. I mean, maybe my, maybe my students just have me high on blockchains right now, but uh, I think they're really interesting. I think we end up we end up crowning a new king without that king being really fundamentally different. It's just a new religion. So let me tell you a story. All right, you tell me a story about a about a mighty wizard <laughs> made a ring to take over the world, thinking that 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 ring was what he needed. And and do you know what? He got what killed happened? by a hobbit. <laughs> saying, just saying, be you know, centralizing your systems on a a single magical object may may in fact be the the very end of those systems. Really interesting. We'll see. We'll see. I, I hope we don't see. But uh, I, you know, you know, God willing, you're that hobbit. <laughs> I don't I think it's not going to turn out too well for him either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's up to the, the, the fairyland or whatever he goes to. Uh, yeah. Great. Good. Um, Did I think we solved it. There we go. All right. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It was certainly maybe our most fun podcast. I'm not sure that anybody is going to get kind of real concrete value and the amount of inaccuracies in this might be, um, <laughs> might, might lead to a podcast just of a correction podcast in and of itself. Um, anybody who wants to write in, they can write in to TG Bates. At <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Um, anyway, no, uh, hopefully, hopefully it's at least been an interesting discussion. If not, if um, there's, if you're looking for your facts, um, there's plenty of places who have those. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> talk to you next time. All right. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye.